would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Rider carbon action two-inch airways ball air rifle. Ooh. No. Shoot your eye out. Oh no, it was the classic mother BB gun block. It's Christmas time, and all little Ralphie wants is a Red Rider BB gun. Join us as we discuss Nintendo games that hold a special place in our heart, the good thing about global warming, and proper line management. Try not to shoot your eye out as we decide if a Christmas story stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James Brief. Hi, Alan. How are you? Hi, James. Merry Christmas, said one Jew to another Jew. Yes, yes. Uh, happy holidays to one and all. Happy uh, winter solstice. Mm-hmm. And for most people, a couple days off, maybe. That's happy days off. Right, right, right. This episode is coming out on December 24th, Christmas Eve. So I assume a lot of our diehard listeners will be listening right away. Maybe if they're traveling somewhere for the holidays, they'll they'll put this podcast on. Or maybe not. Maybe they'll be listening to it in August. But whatever. Still, it's Christmas time as we're recording this. So we will be talking about a Christmas story today. But first, we need to address something a little sad that happened in the news recently. Uh, yeah, that's true. In the world of uh, video games, uh, a titan just passed away. And I apologize if I uh, mispronounce his name, but uh, Masayuki Umura, he was the inventor of the NES and Super Nintendo. Certainly, our childhoods would be different if, the, if this man did not exist. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was kind of skimming an article the other day about how he was sort of tasked to create a home video game console. He thought his boss was joking because it was late at night and he thought maybe the boss was drinking. But then the next day at the office, he was like, no, I really want you to do that. And he said, oh, okay. And he came up with the Famicom, which was what it was called in uh, Japan. And then they renamed it uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System for America. But yeah, I mean, that in and of itself, was a monumental accomplishment. And then a few years later, he topped himself by creating its successor, the Super Nintendo. And I'll be honest, I didn't know this guy's name. You know, I know Miyamoto and uh, Iwata, but I hadn't heard this guy's name. But when I saw the news that uh, he passed, it's like, wow, this guy, like you said, had a huge impact on our lives. You know, to this day, I still play Nintendo and Super Nintendo games because on the Switch, uh, I I play them a lot because they're pretty much all, they're free with your Nintendo online subscription, which is like 10 bucks a year. So it's practically free and you get pretty much the entire library, which has opened things up to the games I never owned. I never, some of them I never knew existed. I mean, some are just Japanese games that never came to America. If you had to say your top three games uh, of all time uh, from the Nintendo and Super Nintendo era, what would you say from each system? Well, how about we just, we'll both do regular Nintendo first, and then we'll move on to Super Nintendo. 
But I would say my top three Nintendo games are Super Mario Brothers 3, Bubble Bobble, and Contra. Super Mario 3, that's an easy choice. I mean, that's kind of like an obvious choice. But when that game came out, I was obsessed with it. I think I talked about this in our episode about The Wizard, how I was literally dreaming about it and daydreaming about it. And all I wanted in the world was to own Super Mario Brothers 3. So that game was very important in my young life. Uh, Bubble Bobble is a little bit of a weird choice, and I know that, but I loved that game. I was really, really into that game. And it's so weird how, like, you have to beat that game with a friend. Do you know that? No, 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 I don't. I don't. But uh, similar to your number three game, Contra, like, that's definitely a co-op type uh, feel that you have. Well, yes, but... In theory, you can beat Contra alone. Like, if you beat Contra in a single-player mode, fine. You get the game's ending. But with Bubble Bobble, if you beat that game one player, you get what's called the sad ending. And it's like this real downer because you fight this boss and it takes forever. And then the screen pops up and is like, well, you should have done it with a friend. I think it even says sad ending, but then if you do it with a friend, then you get the happy ending and you get like the full like credits and everything. It's really, really bizarre, but that game has a weird special place in my heart. And Contra, yeah, that's on my list for literally the reason you just said. It's just so much fun to play with friends and that one level when you're going up the cliff and you just keep letting your friend die, you know, where he like is respawned and then they keep falling into the bottomless pit. Oh, of course. Yeah, it causes endless fights. You're right. <laughs> right. But it's so much fun. So those, I think, were my top three Nintendo games. Well, let me ask you, are those games that were in your childhood your favorite games or are those games that you still play? In my childhood, I really don't play much video games anymore apart from Nick's Marathon coming January 28th, 2022. And when I do play video games, I do tend to play new ones. So my Nintendo Switch Online membership kind of is collecting virtual dust on my Switch, unfortunately. Really? Because I have a very different uh, top three than I would have said of all time. Because my top three of all time, in no particular order, is Super Mario Brothers 3, The Legend of Zelda, and probably even Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Mm. However, uh, the games that I play today, now there is no Mike Tyson's Punch-Out anymore. Now they call it Punch-Out, and it has Mr. Dream. Mm-hmm. And... I've played it, but I'm not as obsessed with it as I used to. So I don't even put that in my top three anymore. With the Nintendo Switch, they also give you like uh, scenarios on on the Nintendo. So you start the Super Mario Bros. 3 on World 8 with only a certain number of uh, guys. And you're kind of stacked with some items. And it's like, just try to beat the whole board in one game. So those are fun. So I play Super Mario Bros. 3 the most right now. Cool. But I also play Dr. Mario, mm. uh, or Mario, as, as you would say. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love playing Legend of Zelda, but it's between that and some of the early Mega Man games. And they've even come out with uh, Mega Man Legacy, which kind of just made uh, almost those WarioWare micro games where it puts you in all the different Mega Man games at once and it just really gets you into the... Uh, the 8-bit world. So my top three currently are Super Mario Brothers 3, Dr. Mario, and the Mega Man series. And quickly, I'll just say my top three uh, Super Nintendo 
games. Yeah. And that would be Super Mario World. It is such good controls. The graphics are so crisp. It's challenging enough to still be challenging today and so much fun. Number two is Donkey Kong Country. I love that one. And then number three, a weird one. I always have a soft spot. I always go back to SimCity on Super Nintendo. Really? SimCity's been on a lot of versions, been on everything, but people that know SimCity on Super Nintendo know it has a couple extra little special pieces that make it special, and it's one of the better versions of it. And it's just a very relaxing game. It's one of the classic simulations games. It's fantastic. I will say honorable mention, only with the Switch did I finally beat uh, Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, which was unbelievable, but I was always so frustrated with it as a kid when I finally got Super Nintendo later. I only got it at the end of high school, but uh, there were no guidebooks and the internet was a little too early. I just couldn't beat that game, and when I played it recently, fantastic. It just misses the top three. But what about you, Al? What are the top three games uh, on the Super Nintendo for you? Well, one of my top three is The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. That was actually the first Zelda game I've ever played. To this day, actually, I've never played the two on original Nintendo. Link to the Past was a game that was given to me by Nick, the guy who we named Nick's Marathon after. And he was like, oh, you got to play this game. And I was like, eh, I've never played the Zelda games. I'm not into it. And he said, trust me. And he was right. I was able to beat it way back then. So nanny nanny poo poo to you, sir. But I love that game. That is a game that brought me into the Zelda franchise. And it is just really, really good. And so long. There's like so much in that game. I would also say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 colon Turtles in Time. Sort of for the same reason that I said Contra for Nintendo. It's just so much fun to play with friends. I feel like we play that every year at Nick's Marathon as just like a game to put on and then beat. We'll beat that game in an hour or so. For my third choice, I'm going to go with the Super Star Wars games because those games, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they're a little underrated. They're not on the nintendo switch online thing are they no they're not they're fantastic platformers those are great games it's a great trilogy yes i wouldn't put in my top three but uh it's so hard to just you know make three games because there's so many great games from these eras there are a lot of games that are still to this day very fun and so i salute you masayuki omura yes thank you sir may you rest in peace But let's move on and talk about a movie that's also just about childhood joy. Sure. And that would be 1983's A Christmas Story. Yes. This is a movie that is definitely a staple of the holiday season. For as long as I can remember, TBS and then TNT, or maybe it was the other way around, but one of those Turner channels has been airing A Christmas Story for 24 hours I think it's from like 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve to 8 p.m. on Christmas Day. And it's just ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. And it's crazy that it's taken us this long to get to this movie. But I figured because this episode was coming out on Christmas Eve, it was the perfect time to talk about A Christmas Story. This is the story that takes place in the suburbs of Indiana in December of 1940. The story centers on nine-year-old Ralphie, a daydreamer on a mission to get the ultimate Christmas gift a Red Ryder carbon-action 200-shot range model air rifle. In the weeks before Christmas, Ralphie also fights a bully, decodes a secret message, and tastes soap. Ew. 
But this movie was kind of a dud when it first came out, and it's really only become this Christmas classic like in the years since, right? Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, it's got a complete dud of a title. Uh, you know, it's called A Christmas Story. I think it's a great title. It tells you exactly what you need to know. I mean, we know it now as the classic A Christmas Story, but it's a pretty bland title. It's certainly not eye-catching. Sure. So, uh, you're right. Uh, This opened in November of 1983. They got some mixed reviews, actually. Uh, Some reviews didn't really like it, but uh, Roger Ebert, uh, he gave it four out of four stars. Very nice. But uh, it only made $19 million at the box office, but just makes so much money, and will make money forever because of its uh, various sources of revenue. And we'll talk about even more than just TBS uh, showings. Yeah. And we should just address the elephant in the room right away. This movie does have a voiceover. Listeners to the podcast know that I do not like voiceover most of the time. And this movie's voiceover, I got to say right out of the gate, it's not the most egregious. It's not the worst. It's not as good as, say, the voiceover in Shawshank Redemption, which is totally necessary. There are parts of the voiceover in this movie where I was like, We didn't need that one. We could have done without this one. But by and large, it's okay because this is a story of a little kid. It's told from the kid's point of view, but when he's an adult. It's actually narrated by Gene Shepard, who is the author of the book that uh, this movie is based on. And it just kind of works. Well, Al, you are opening up to uh, narration and uh, voiceovers. We're cracking your shell. No, 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 no. I have been pretty consistent, I think, about unnecessary voiceover. This voiceover is a little bit more necessary in a lot of places. So I'm okay with it. All right. And uh, Gene Shepard is a famous voiceover from a specific ride that you may know at Disney World. It's a ride that I've mentioned before that I weirdly am fascinated by. There's never a line for this one, folks. Do you know which ride I'm talking about? No. What ride are you talking about, James? It's actually the Carousel of Progress, where you sit down in this like weird like 1930s kitchen. You sit in the seats, and the, and the stage kind of rotates. Then you go to the same kitchen in 1950s, then 1970s, and then there's like the modern one, and like they hadn't quite updated it, so there's like CD-ROMs and stuff. I mean, I think they've updated it since, but uh, I love the carousel progress i think they're updating it now they're doing like a big update on epcot it's in the magic kingdom oh really yeah you'd think it's the educational thing that would be at epcot but no it's in tomorrowland in uh in the magic kingdom oh okay um well i'll report back after my disney trip in 2022 fingers crossed that we still get to go uh Also, just Gene Shepard's voice is just good. You know, it's just a a nice sounding voice. And I read something today that said that the narrator from the present reflecting on the childhood of the past sort of inspired the Wonder Years, which makes sense because, you know, that's kind of the format that the Wonder Years had. And, you know, they uh, perhaps were inspired by this movie. And there's a little controversy whether it takes place in 1939, 1940. It doesn't matter. It's in this pre-World War II uh, America. And of course, World War II started on September uh, 1st, 1939. But America was not involved until Pearl Harbor. So this film definitely takes place in a pre-war America. Right. And the movie takes place in Indiana. And right from the get-go, we see Ralphie 
practically drooling in a toy store window over this Red Rider BB gun. And that's all he wants for Christmas. That's the only thing he cares about. But when his mom asks him what he wants and he tells her, she says, you'll shoot your eye out. And that is a recurring line in the movie. Several other characters will tell Ralphie that. But he feels like he needs this BB gun because he thinks he needs to protect his family. And he goes into this daydream where his family is attacked by bumbling robbers who are wearing like the black and white stripes, you know, something out of like an old timey serial uh, S-E-R-I-A-L, I mean, kind of a thing. And he's shooting them with his BB gun and saving the day. And that's exactly the kind of uh, shorts he would have seen. Sure, yeah. The whole thing is adorable. It's extra kind of funny when the guys are like piled up as like quote-unquote corpses, I guess, even though like they would have just been lying where he shot them. But someone seems to have arranged them in a pile and their eyes have like these X's like kind of drawn on them to indicate that they're knocked out or dead or something. Yeah, I I actually always thought it was based on little things that he saw in movies because if you notice these little fantasies, it's almost like stop motion photography. They kind of these bandits are moving kind of choppy and slow. Right. It's kind of like an old film. That's what I thought because that's kind of what it looks like in those flashbacks. Right, right. But separate from his dreams of the BB gun, we're introduced to Ralphie's father, who I believe is credited as the old man, which is what people used to call their dads, which I'm glad is not a thing that stands a test of time. I do not want my kids referring to me as the old man. This guy is played by Darren McGavin, and he plays this old man so well. I don't care how old we get, I feel like this character will always seem older than us. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, this guy just seems like just such a, like, older, grumpy dad, even though he has, like, a nine and a, like, a six or seven-year-old. Right, right. The thing with the furnace, I think, is a thing that kind of doesn't stand the test of time in that, yes, I understand this movie was made in 1983, but takes place in 1940. I'm just going to go with 1940. But the fact that he's yelling about the damper and the furnace, like, I never even heard of a damper. I mean, is that a thing that you had in your house? No, I have no idea what a damper is. I think that's like the dial that, like, the mom adjusts, like, when the dad is down in the basement and he's cursing, but not really cursing. All you hear is gibberish. But, like, he said, who turned off the damper? And then she kind of, like, moves it to the side, like— It doesn't really matter. You don't need to know what it is. You just need to know he's mad that someone touched it and it was the mom and she's fixing it while he's downstairs, you know, yelling and screaming about it. It's a funny scene because the kids are laughing and the dad's getting all mad. But I love the next part, which is the winter school day when the kids have to get bundled up. And my mom wouldn't bundle us up like this, but she would definitely bundle us up if we were ever playing out in the snow. And these sure. kids, uh, you know, you don't really know how far they're walking, but it's like you figure it's 1940. It's just walk as far as it is. You know, the, a six and a nine year old go off on your own on the sidewalks of a, uh, you know, a snowed in uh, city. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems relatively safe, except for the bullies, which we'll talk about later. But the line when the kid is mumbling because the mom has put him in too much clothes and then she unwraps a scarf and he says, I can't put my arms down. 
I mean, that's so funny. And then, you know, the mom tries to put the arms down and then they just pop right back up. I mean, that is funny. I have, as a father, bundled my kids up so much that their arms are kind of sticking out and can't go quite vertical all the way down. And it's fine. You'll put your arms down when you get to school. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, it's a parent's job. It's like when uh, they put a coat over your Halloween costume. It's mm-hmm. They're obsessed with keeping you warm. True, but now, thanks to global warming, I feel like the last few Halloweens have been pretty warm and it's been okay to just let the kids not wear jackets over their costumes. And finally, when the kids make it to school, like I remember when I was a kid, there was a rumor that someone could swing over the swing set. And I don't know if you remember, Nickelodeon had a little short about the kid that could swing over the swing set and he gained superpowers. Oh, yeah, maybe. That does sound vaguely familiar. (laughs) And, you know, in this particular film, the rumor was basically what happens when you lick a telephone pole and someone heard that your tongue sticks to the pole. So immediately there has to be the contrarian who goes, nah, that's not true. So then somebody dares them to do it and they get intimidated, but they don't want to do it. So then they get double dared. As the, the narrator explains, there's a whole etiquette to it, but someone goes and just skips all the way to triple dog daring Ralphie's friend Flick to lick the telephone pole. And so while he while they're at recess, he licks it's either a light pole or a telephone pole, whatever it is. And lo and behold, his tongue gets frozen. Yeah, I mean, I have never in real life seen anyone do this. And I think that this movie is the reason why nobody would ever do it in real life because you know, and I'm making air quotes when I say no, that your tongue will stick. I don't really know that it's true, but I believe it. It certainly seems plausible. And after watching this movie, I don't care if anyone quadruple hyena dared me. That's the level after triple dog, I assume. But like, no, I wouldn't do it. You know, no one should. Because like, as stupid as Flick is in this movie, in real life, if you did it after having seen this movie, then you're just extra stupid. Oh, this is absolute uh, basic knowledge for any American kid because every single American kid will see this film. Our thing is don't lick poles in in wintertime. Right. Sure, if you want to lick a pole in summer, have at it. There's no reason I can think of whatsoever to not lick a random pole. Absolutely. And I kind of like a film that will... You know, not make their central character a perfect kid because Ralphie is a real jerk here. Oh, yeah. Because the kid, Flick, immediately starts crying like, help, help, help. And the kids, uh, what do they do immediately? They run back to class. And Flick is like, please don't leave me. And Ralphie's like, well, the bell rang. Right. Maybe if you understand that they didn't want to get in trouble for not being in when the bell rings, or maybe they get locked out when the bell stops ringing, the least they could do is run in and go, teacher, you got to go outside and help our friend Flick. Right. Uh, but but what do they do? They say nothing. She asks, where's Flick? Because there's an empty seat. And right. nobody says anything. Even Ralphie innocently looks around. What a little jerk. The guy's freezing and screaming outside. Right. And finally, the fire department comes and, and helps this poor kid out. Yeah, it looks like they kind of like pull him off. Like, I would think that they would maybe like pour some hot water on the tongue or something. Not like boiling, but like warm water to kind of like warm up the pole a little bit but it seems like the firefighter just kind of like pulls the kid off which seems 
horrible. I mean, maybe that's the better way to do it. I don't know. I am not a firefighter, so I don't know. But like, it seems rough. Yeah, it does. It does seem rough. Uh, I don't think that kid was uh, eating a lot that night. Maybe some ice cream. But, maybe. Uh, that's it. Or maybe that's too cold. Maybe he only wanted warm things. Maybe he only wanted chili that night. Yeah. And, and then after this, the teacher makes them write what she calls a theme, uh-huh. which I assume means like an essay. Yeah, it seems like that. And we were talking about it the other night, uh, Courtney and I and the kids, because my daughter sometimes gets these assignments where she has to write like a paragraph. Her teacher calls it writer's night. And Courtney was like, what do they call it in A Christmas Story? And I could hear it in my head when the teacher announces it, where she's like, tonight you will write a theme. Like there's like the dramatic pause and all the kids go, oh, man. But the theme is what I want for Christmas. And Ralphie's all excited because he gets to write about his BB gun that he so desperately wants. And he writes a paragraph and he has another daydream where he's imagining the teacher who's grading every paper. All the themes are terrible. She's writing Fs on everything. But then she reads his and it's the most beautiful, amazing thing she's ever written. She starts writing on the blackboard A++++. And all the kids pick up Ralphie and they're like, carrying around the room like he's Rudy, like the Sean Astin character. And it's it's so funny because like, why would that be a thing you'd be daydreaming about? You know, like writing the best essay ever. Well, because he's so proud of it and because it's so true and this is what I want. And this is a kid who believes in Santa Claus and believes in what he wishes for Christmas will come true and that this is just the perfect perfect toy and present for him to get. And the teacher will figure, you're correct. This is exactly what a boy like you should be getting for Christmas. Right, right. Meanwhile, the dad gets an interesting present. It's not a Christmas present, but he wins a quote-unquote major award. It's this giant crate that comes to the house, and he thinks it's a bowling alley, and he reads the word on the crate, and he says, fragile, it must be Italian. And of course, the long-suffering wife says, I think it says, fragile, dear. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. That's a line I quote anytime I see the word fragile written anywhere. But the major award turns out to be the leg lamp. And this is something that has definitely stood the test of time in that it's a thing in real life. You, you see these leg lamps around. You see people wearing leg lamp t-shirts in a town near where I live. They do a leg lamp lighting every Christmas. And it's just like this thing that he's obsessed with. He loves it. His wife hates it because it's pretty sexy, you know, for their nice, modest home. And, uh, you know, it, it's one leg in fishnet stockings. And there's a moment when Ralphie is looking at it and he like puts his hand up and up and up the lamp. And then the mom's like, Ralphie, you stop it. It's like when he gets to the top, it's just the end of the lamp. There's nothing there. But it's just really, really funny. And this scene to me will always be hilarious. I mean, it's also, this guy is, he's never going to be recognized for anything in his life. Do we know what he does for a living? No. In one of the voiceovers, it says that he's an Oldsmobile man, but I think that means that he just likes his Oldsmobile, not that he works at a plant or something. Um, no, I don't think we know. 
Yeah, and, you know, this is just coming off of Depression America. This is probably the only award this man ever won or may ever win. So I think he's just so proud of it when he opens it up. It's just whatever it is. I mean, it's an award for him. And it's so funny that it means so much to him because... When you watch it as an adult, I think you have more of a soft spot for the old man because, oh, yeah. you know, he was just a grump and then this is a good day for him. It's a win. Right. He he won something. And I feel like that's relatable. If you've ever won something, you get really excited. Even if it's not the coolest thing in the world, you won it. Earlier in the movie, he's doing like a crossword puzzle and he's trying to get every answer right because if he does, he could win something. And that's a thing that happens in some small town papers, or I guess used to when small town papers were a thing, and people would try to win these contests. And my mom and stepdad won free tickets to a Long Island Ducks game uh, this past summer, which is the minor league baseball team, and they were really excited. They won four tickets, they took the kids, they had a blast, and, you know, it was just exciting because, hey, we won. So I, I get that. But the other thing the dad loves, besides his leg lamp, is negotiating. Uh, He likes to haggle. The voiceover says that he could bargain like an Arab trader, which is a line that doesn't really stand the test of time. Well, I mean, if you mean it in the descriptive term, I, have you ever been to the in the Middle East, like like the Arab bazaar, the, the Arab shuk, the Arab market? I believe we walked through one when I was in Israel. Like the whole point of those markets is to bargain. Like when you see a backgammon board, he will say 500 shekels. You're supposed to give him your bargain price. You know, 300, 400 deal. You know, and obviously, you know, sometimes if he says 500 and you say two shekels and then you know the screaming starts but uh i don't think he meant it in a disparaging term but just today when someone says like an arab that's probably not the first way you'd say it you might say oh like this market in iraq you could bargain like that i gotcha okay (laughs) like i see what you mean like there is a market in the arab world the set price is not the price you should pay unless you're an idiot gotcha or a soccer tourist Right, sure. And while he's haggling for the tree, the tree salesman is like, you want this tree? This here's a tree. And then they're like, eh. And then he's like, yeah, that's not a tree. This here's a tree, which I say every year when we go shopping for Christmas trees. Uh, But on the way home from getting the Christmas tree, they get a flat tire. And it's a really big deal because the mom tells Ralphie to go out and help the dad. And this is like, the moment for Ralphie. He's been called up to the big leagues. He's finally old enough to help dad. And he goes out there and he's holding all of the bolts. And then the dad knocks into him. It's the dad's fault, by the way. It's not Ralphie's fault. Ralphie doesn't like drop them. But in his panic, Ralphie says, oh, fudge. And this is where the voiceover works. It is necessary because the voiceover tells us he didn't say fudge. He said the word. And they never say the word. This is a PG rated movie, but obviously you get it. And honestly, like that part's pretty funny. To me, the way funnier thing is the reaction. Like when the dad comes back into the car and whispers into the the mom's ear, do you know what your son just said? Like her reaction of, <gasps> and then, you know, they go home and the mom gives Ralphie soap, which, by the way, I think is also a thing that does not stand the test of time 
I don't know of any parents that do that now. It happened to me and my sister a couple times. Did that ever happen to you? Get uh, soap in the mouth for cursing? No, no, we never got it. But I've heard of people that do it. I don't know about children today that are doing it because they're not telling the pediatrician if they're doing that. <laughs> Fair point. I mean, I talk to other parents and I don't know, we like compare notes on how we discipline our children, but I've never heard... Anyone say, oh, yeah, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap, which was definitely a thing that my mom said to my sister and I when we were kids. And it happened more to Sam than it ever did to me because Sam had a potty mouth and I didn't. I was a perfect little child. But I also love how here Ralphie demonstrates he's kind of a jerk again because they're like, where did you learn this word? And even though the voiceover says it's obvious I learned it from dad, he sells out his buddy and he says, ah, Schwartz told me. So his mom goes on the phone and says, listen, Mrs. Schwartz, uh, listen to what your son said. And then she whispers into the phone and you can hear the receiver line (laughs) screaming and the other kid, Schwartz, presumably, is getting beaten on the other side of the phone and Alan you know we're laughing at it because he's sitting there and letting his friend get beaten and the poor Schwartz he has no idea imagine your mom goes on the phone you're just sitting there it's 1940 you're playing with some fire engine toy and then your mom just hears what 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 and then just starts beating you too Clarify, I'm not laughing about Schwartz getting beaten. I'm laughing at the mom's reaction. Mrs. Schwartz, when she goes, ah, 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 she screams three times. My sister and I have quoted those screams. It's just so damn funny. And Schwartz didn't deserve this beating. But remember, it was Schwartz who triple dog dared Flick to put his tongue on the pole. So this is an indirect roundabout sort of justice karma yeah exactly there you go speaking of uh karma ralphie gets a little bit of a comeuppance uh, at this point he's been dreaming about two things uh, for this whole movie one is the bb gun that he's dreaming of getting for christmas and the second thing is his decoder ring that he was trying to get from uh what, what was it from the um, little orphan annie little orphan annie yes 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 that's right and finally you know he he saved up enough box tabs or whatever it was and he mailed it away allow six to eight weeks i don't did you ever do these things where you mailed away like oh, cereal sure. box stuff yeah oh my god when it would come in the mail like you're like honey smacks or tony the tiger digital watch this thing really came i couldn't believe it yeah i mean the cool thing was you forgot about it because it was so long after you sent in the box tops and then you get something in the mail. You're like, what is this? Exactly. Exactly. And also, you don't really check the mail every day when you're seven. So when your mom's like a package came and it's, you know, not your birthday month or a holiday month, you're like, wow. Right. But Ralphie, he got his decoder ring and he goes into the bathroom, which is the only place he can have some privacy. Mm-hmm. And he's on the toilet and he's decoding this ring. And there's such great music going on. And he's really, he's almost sweating. He's decoding it. What is his secret code? and he finally figures out the code is what is it Al? Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. And he realizes he's been had it's a crummy commercial Right. Ovaltine I think is a thing still like it still exists I believe Oh yeah it does. It does. I never drank it as a kid my kids don't drink it. I feel like I remember watching this movie as a kid and being like what's Ovaltine? Yeah, and it was known as, like, the not-good Nestle Quick, in my mind. Oh, okay. 
Fair enough. But yeah, it's the sponsor of the Little Orphan Annie radio show. And uh, yeah, it's just a commercial. And he's very disappointed by that. And, you know, we didn't talk about the bully yet. Uh, it's this great guy that has this Davy Crockett uh, hat. Mm-hmm. And when the theme comes on, I don't know if you know it, it's, it's the theme from Peter and the Wolf. It's the evil theme. One day, the bully, basically, he picked on Ralphie just one step too far. And he throws a snowball at him. And he's telling him, why don't you cry? Wah! Cry! Wah! And something just awakened in Ralphie. And he just was like smacking him in the face where presumably until the mom pulls Ralphie off of him. I'll bet this kid like really beat the living crap out of him. You see that the the bully uh, whose name is Scott Farkas. Farkas is a great name, by the way. Um, yeah, like he's like bleeding a lot. He gets his because he was caught off guard. I mean, Farkas is a lot bigger than Ralphie, but he wasn't expecting Ralphie to just pounce on him and start wailing on him. And then Farkas is little henchman who they call a toady like he kind of comes over and it's like hey you're not supposed to do that and then you know ralphie shoves the toady away it's like this moment where ralphie wins the fight like he beats up the bully and it's a victory but he's also crying because you know it's hard on a kid to like see that and go through that and i i sort of like that moment that even though it's a quote-unquote win for ralphie You know, just like doing that, like beating up somebody is an emotional thing. And then he's also worried about what's going to happen when his dad gets home. And his little brother, Randy, is really worried. He's hiding in the cabinet under the sink. And when the mom finds him and asks him why he's so upset, he says in his little adorable voice, Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. And it's really sweet because he's just worried about his big brother. And, you know, then the mom sort of tells the dad that Ralphie got into a fight, but then immediately changes the subject and talks about football and who the Bears are going to play. And the dad lets it go and everyone lets it go. And daddy does not kill Ralphie. And it's this really sweet moment, I think, for the mom who takes this situation that the kids are so worried about and just disarms it instantly. Every character in this film has a chance to have a really good moment. And that was mom's real good moment. Now, this next scene is maybe the most well-known scene in the film, and that is the trip to the mall. Oh, yeah. And they finally get, at long last, to finally meet the guy that can get Ralphie his gun. Right. Santa is there at the mall, and they wait on this big, huge line to meet the Santa. Uh, The store where they meet the Santa is an old department store called Higby's. Apparently, that was a real department store. It's no longer around. Uh, But the Santa is just such a jerk, and he is just screaming, Ho! 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 Like, really aggressively at the kids. And some kids are scared of Santa. That is a thing I know as a father. My son Eli was never scared of Santa ever once in his life. My daughter, on the other hand, was petrified of Santa, and I have many pictures of us holding her kind of somewhat near Santa where she is screaming her head off because she was petrified. And if you're scared of Santa in general, okay, it's definitely not going to help when the guy is like bellowing, ho, 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 and all of the assistant elves are like grabbing the kids and manhandling them and shoving them on Santa's lap and tell me what you want right away and then throwing them down the slide. The slide is cool. 
Santa is terrifying. The helper elves are nasty and mean. But that slide is really cool. And uh, apparently this department store where they shot it kept that slide for many years. I have never seen a slide like that anywhere in real life. But I mean, if I was a kid, I would love that. You get to go talk to Santa and then go down a slide. Wee! Yeah, it sounds awesome. I don't know why they were totally terrified. But there was one thing, as much of a jerk as that Santa was, watching as an adult, I did understand him when he says quietly to the elf, he's not saying this to the kids, he goes, if those bastards think I'm working one minute after nine, they can kiss my ass. You know, after working a long day in a mall on Christmas week as mall Santa of kids screaming in your face all day... And, you know, he's not getting paid by the hour. There's no union. He'd be like, I'm getting up at nine. I did understand him when I'm like, yeah, these kids, you better hurry up. Santa's not waiting for this whole line to be done. No, I disagree. Santa has to wait until the whole line is done. Well, then he better get paid to be there the whole time. Sure. And they should do better line management and cut the line off at a certain point. Absolutely. So we're in favor of unions for Santas and line equity. Yeah, you need to plan it in advance so that people aren't there all night. Speaking of long lines to see Santa, we do a tradition every year on Christmas Eve where we go to see Santa at the Macy's in New York City. And now they have a system where you can, like, reserve a time and the lines aren't so bad because, you know, you have a a set time to be there. One year, we were on a line that was so long. Actually, I shouldn't say we. It was just me because Courtney took the kids out. It winds through, like, the Macy's offices, which are also in that building. Literally, I was online in the Macy's HR department. Like, just walking by, like, cubicles. Like, you were that far in the bowels of the building, waiting online. I think I waited for, like, three and a half hours to see Santa. So the kids could see Santa, but, you know, they were off shopping, which is less boring than standing online in Macy's. But that was a really terrible experience. Why didn't you just go to the local mall that year and just say, this year, folks, we're going to go to the uh, whatever mall near our home? Because we were already there in New York City at the Macy's. I didn't know how long it was going to take. And at that point, like, that's eh, what you do as a father. <laughs> Three hours, 45 minutes for something you could wait 15 minutes at your local mall. <laughs> no, 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 no. The local mall is nowhere near the experience at Macy's. They really do a nice job. They have like a whole Santa's village. But that's what you have to wait in line? No, she can go in Santa's Village alone. You said you waited three hours and 45 minutes for a picture with Santa. Well, you go through the Santa's Village and then you meet Santa. You have to wait in three hours and 45 minutes just to be able to walk through it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, very nice. And if you're coming to New York City around Christmas time, I would encourage you to do it. But definitely make reservations in advance so you get a good time slot. Uh, But Ralphie, at first, he, like, draws a blank when Santa asks him what he wants. And then Santa says, how about a football? And Ralphie's like, yeah, sure, a football. But then he goes down the slide. He stops himself and he crawls back up and says, no, 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 I want this Red Ryder BB gun. And Santa says, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And then, like, puts his foot on the kid's face and kicks him down the slide, which is awful and terrible and also just really, really funny. I mean, Santa shouldn't be kicking kids in the face. Even as a Jew, I know that. And the next morning, it's Christmas, 
they go through all the presents and it's kind of cute like when they get the socks and the kids look at them and they just toss them over their shoulder and Randy, Ralphie's brother, gets a Zeppelin and he's all excited. Uh, the mom gets the dad a bowling ball, which she drops in his lap. And then he's kind of like, oh, thanks, honey, which, you know, that's an easy gag, but it's funny. And probably the most memorable moment from the scene is when Ralphie gets this giant pink bunny suit from his Aunt Clara and the mom makes him try it on. And the dad kind of comes to the rescue and is like, you can let the kid take it off. Like, he looks absolutely ridiculous. Nowadays, if the kid put that outfit on, they would be petrified that the mom was going to take a picture and post it on Instagram, which they probably would. But back then, it was before smartphones, and no one else was going to see Ralphie in that bunny suit. Absolutely. And then after all the presents have been uh, opened, Ralphie is he's happy. He's gotten some good stuff, but he didn't get what he really wanted. His father says, why don't you look behind the, what was it, behind the piano or something? Behind the desk. Something. And he goes, yeah, you grab that. And of course, it's his Red Rider BB gun. Christmas fulfilled. And he see, he doesn't even take credit for it. Oh, actually, he whispers to his wife. He's like, I think Santa must have given it to him. Right. And it is funny when you think about it. Ralphie asks his mom for the gun. He asks his teacher. He asks Santa. The one person he doesn't ask is his dad, and his dad gets it for him. Yeah, I saw in the trivia, he put the uh, ad for the Red Rider gun in his mother's magazine, but he put it on his father's bed. They had separate beds, apparently, and uh, he put it on his father's bed, so his father might have seen it. Why would he not know which is his father's bed. And also, how do you know watching the movie? Not like you specifically, but like the person who wrote that in the trivia. How can you tell which bed is which? Um, Was there a scene we saw the parents in bed? No. Um, Possibly one night shelf had like, uh, you know, something that would be more masculine or feminine, traditionally 1940. Oh, maybe. Maybe I missed it. But I have no idea. I read this in the IMDb trivia. Well, no, you're uh, passing it off as fact, James, so you better fact check your facts. I didn't. I specifically said I read this in the trivia. <laughs> well, then my beef isn't with you. It's the person who wrote it in IMDb. Maybe you don't have a beef with them, and maybe it's true. Why are you starting a fight? I don't know. I like picking fights with people on IMDb. But throughout the movie, everyone's been telling Ralphie, if you get the BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out. He takes it into the backyard. He's so excited. He fires one shot at like a tin something, something made out of tin. The BB ricochets, hits him in the eye, and he thinks that he has, in fact, shot his eye out on his very first shot with the BB gun. But the BB did not shoot out his eye. That would be a very disturbing end to this uh, adorable family movie. It just hit his glasses and while he's looking for his glasses, he's walking, which is the stupidest thing you could do. And he steps on his glasses and he comes up with a lie that it was an icicle that broke his glasses. And he tells his mom. And I have to say, it never bothered me watching this movie before. But watching it this time, maybe it is as a father eye roll. But I was like, I kind of don't like that Ralphie gets away with that. At the end, like he lies to his parents, he breaks the fourth wall, he smiles at the camera, which also is a little annoying. And then he's like, I got away with the lie to my parents. And that's kind of like part of the happy ending. I don't know, that never bothered me before. But this time I was like, that's not a very good lesson. And I don't just mean that like, it's a good lesson for the kids watching the movie. It's also just not a good like lesson for Ralph, who should go on a character arc and learn some kind of life lesson. And the life lesson is, 
he gets what he wants and he lies to his parents. I mean, he's also like a nine-year-old boy. So Sure. Know, I mean, he doesn't want to get in trouble for the first moment he finally gets his gun that everyone's in warding him. He'll shoot his eye out. He almost shoots his eye out. You're saying because he concocts a scheme about it that really harms nobody. He doesn't have a character arc. Shame on you, Al, expecting a little bit too much from this nine-year-old. <laughs> I was expecting a very little bit. It's- I think it's because you are thinking, why would this kid lie to his parents? Because your kids have never done anything like this that you never found out about, right? Sure. Your kids never got away with a lie that you never figured out, right, Al? Well, if I never figured it out. But you just assume they've just never lied to you. And anytime they've lied to you, your super stealth father uh, sleuthing figured out and coughed out a confession. I mean, yes, that is what I think. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm right about that. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, all, all is well in, uh, in, in the household. And they're about to have their wonderful Christmas dinner that mom's been cooking and dad's been waiting for. When the neighbor's dogs, they come in and they eat their dinner, crash the table. Everything's ruined. Christmas dinner is destroyed. And they're not going to have leftovers. But they actually make the best of it. And they decide to go to the Chinese restaurant. Right. And that was kind of a thing that was a truism in my childhood that the only restaurants that were open on Christmas is Chinese restaurants. I don't really remember going out for Chinese every Christmas, like as a Jewish kid. Was that something you did? I mean, we didn't go out, but we would get takeout. And uh, I didn't do the uh, movie thing until later. But uh, yeah, Chinese food was the kind of thing you do on Christmas. It was fun. Yeah. Now we go out in the city on Christmas Day and we go to Tony DiNapoli's, which is an Italian restaurant. And I feel like it's not only Chinese restaurants that are open, although by and large, most restaurants are closed on Christmas Day. But when they bring the duck over to the table, it still has its head attached. And the dad is like, oh, you see, uh, it's smiling at me. And then the waiter says, oh, I'm sorry about that. And he takes out his cleaver and chops the duck's head right off. And uh, the mom screams. And it's pretty funny. Apparently, according to IMDb trivia, this was a genuine reaction because the actors were not told that the duck would come with the head on and it was just chopped off right on the spot. So their horror was uh, was accurate. You can see that. Um, also, we should say that the waiters at the Chinese restaurant are singing and they don't sing fa-la-la-la-la. They sing fa-ra-ra-ra-ra which is that stereotype that Chinese people get their L's and R's mixed up. And watching it this time, I was like, ooh, that is pretty damn racist. It's a joke they just shouldn't have made. Or definitely they would not have filmed today. Exactly. But then the movie basically ends that night where Ralphie's holding his gun in bed and he's dreaming about the adventures he's going to have with his precious BB gun. It kind of ends abruptly. Um, but because we've gotten to the end of the movie, James, do you think A Christmas Story stands the test of time? I mean, uh, it certainly does. I mean, we talked about the marathons, uh, they sell these lamps, and someone bought the house that this was filmed in and turned Mm -hmm. it into a museum. I remember when they bought it, I was like, well, that's dumb. I remember thinking that, because it was like 20 years ago or something, and I think the guy had the last laugh. I mean, it's still around. Sure. And... 
It's a Christmas film, but it is in zero way religious. Uh, I mean, there's no church scene. There's no sentimental Ralphie. The real meaning of Christmas is and none of that talk. Basically, you could remake this film in Bollywood with just adjusting it to something else that the kid's looking forward to. You could probably do this in any culture. It's just a wonderful film. Peter Billingsley, uh, I don't think he really acts much these days, but I think he's a fantastic actor in this film. I think he, I think the entire cast is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the other character actors are, are more like, come on, Ralphie, but you know, they're good enough for what you have to be. But Ralphie's really good. Good. His crying is good. Uh, he's funny. He makes you laugh. And it's just really great. If I had to give any criticism, you did mention it. The film kind of really ends abruptly. I mean, it ends with Christmas ending, so it makes sense. But I just don't really like the the final voiceover or, or really the final scene. I think you can kind of almost cut that out. Right. Um, I just love this film, and it, it's a great tradition. And I like to catch uh, a little bit of it uh, every year, but uh, I don't have TBS or cable anymore, so I don't watch it really. So it was nice to watch this film for the first time in many years. So, of course, this film stands the test of time. Uh, what do you think, Al? Does A Christmas Story stand the test of time? Yes, definitely it does. When you were talking about like the fact that they sell leg lamps, I think last Christmas, Courtney got me a box of fudge that was a Christmas story branded and it said, oh, fudge, you know, get it? Ha ha ha. Like there is so much merch for a Christmas story that when you think about it is crazy. Like this is a movie that is basically a one-off. It's not a franchise. Yes, I know they made a sort of sequel, My Summer Story or something like that. And then they made an unofficial actual sequel, A Christmas Story 2. Right. But the, the, the My Summer Story, it's based on the original short story, like more memoirs. Right, 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 right. And like, yes, those things exist, but no one thinks about those things. This is basically one movie. Name another movie from 1983 or that era that's not part of a franchise, so you can't say Return of the Jedi, that has spawned so much stuff that is still such a part of the pop culture landscape today. There aren't any. And this movie really achieves something remarkable by the fact that it is still so relevant so many years later. You know, I was kind of getting Sandlot vibes from this movie. They're very different. But just because The Sandlot is a movie that's basically just a bunch of vignettes about this one kid's summer. And this movie is a bunch of vignettes about this kid's December. And they're kind of unrelated, but they kind of have like a thread tying them together. But it's just good fun. It's a great movie. I really think that the only thing that doesn't stand the test of time, and you might roll your eyes when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, is the fact that the thing that Ralphie wants is a gun. I know it's a BB gun, and I know it's not a real gun, but I do think that if someone were to pitch this movie today exactly as it is, some executive would say, There's too many school shootings. Let's not have it be a gun that he wants. Let's not have him have a fantasy where he's a good guy with a gun stopping the bad guy with a gun. I know people think that, but the liberal Hollywood executives think that. I'm guessing they would change the thing to something else. You know, I did 
think that for the very first time watching this film now, uh, that the gun wasn't the best thing. And I was kind of thinking, oh, well, at least they teach him that it is really dangerous. But still, like, the dad is like, it's my favorite thing to have gotten it for him. I had one as a kid. So, yeah, I do agree they would have changed that as well. Yeah, but... Overall, I think the movie does stand the test of time. It's just such a sweet movie. I loved watching it again. I watch it with Courtney and the kids. We all had a good time. It's definitely an easy movie to put on every December. So yeah, it does stand the test of time. And before we wrap things up, James, I got you a little Christmas present. It might not be as cool as a BB gun or it's way cooler because you won't shoot your eye out with it. But here, let me let me get this for you. I saw this in a store and I immediately thought I have to buy this for James. Here you go. Oh, it's a NASA beanie hat. And it's like the old school oh, NASA logo. It is, it's called the worm, this logo. I oh, love be- it. Because the A and the S are exactly. kind of connected. Exactly. Okay. Right. Thank you, Al. You're very welcome. That just screamed James. So Merry Christmas. Again, one Jew to another. Aw, I love Al. Aw, that's the best Christmas present I could ask for. But enough of this Christmas stuff. Next week, it's New Year's Eve, and so I picked a movie for us to watch called 200 Cigarettes. Have you ever heard of this movie, James? No. I I mean, I think I've heard the title, but I've, I've never seen this film, or I have no idea what it is. I've never seen it either, but I've heard of it. I've wanted to see it for a long time, and I was Googling New Year's Eve movies, and this popped up, and without spoiling anything, I think you'll be impressed by the cast. So I'm excited to watch that movie. I'm excited to talk about that next week. In the meantime, as always, talk to us. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts about A Christmas Story. What was your most desired Christmas present? What was your favorite Nintendo or Super Nintendo game? Let us know. We love hearing from you. And uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye.